Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and today I am so honored to be able to sit down and talk with an adventurer, a mountain climber, a long-distance transcontinental biker, and also a naked and a freighter. Uh, Heather Werner is on the show, and um, I have to say Heather has just an absolutely amazing story. She's been on an amazing journey as an adventurer. Uh, She's done some really cool things, uh, which we'll get into right away. And just an all-around awesome person. And I think that I have been feeling really grateful that I get a chance to kind of be able to just really listen to these stories and these this inspiration and this motivation like I've, I'm able to apply all these lessons to my life and all of these podcasts and and listening to these wonderful people speak about their journeys like really truly you know motivates me to you know think about like what do I want to chase what big dreams do I have and and then sitting down with people like Heather you know who's climbed all these mountains all over the world and done these giant amazing bike rides like I get to realize that that kind of adventure is possible for me you know um, whatever I'm dreaming of and and so I'm just really grateful like I'm full of gratitude right now maybe it's the holidays coming up or or whatever the time of year Um, but I'm truly 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 just thankful and full of gratitude for the people who come on the show and share their stories And for all of you out there, hopefully you're finding the same inspiration as I am. Like I do feel like each one of these episodes just like goes straight into like main lines right right into my soul. Um, So hopefully y'all are able to find, you know, um, some inspiration from these and and lessons from these as well. So uh, but yeah, this one's a great one. Uh, Super excited to share it with you all. And so, yeah, let's just jump right into it. This is like a Bigfoot podcast. Number 362 with Heather Werner. Heather, you have done some absolutely mind-blowing things. Uh, Huge, huge, huge adventures. And I'm just honored to be able to sit down and talk with you. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Always glad to talk about travels and adventures. I love it. Nice. That's awesome. Well, okay, so... You're going to have to, the first thing I want to just bring up and ask about is this, uh, you basically cut someone's hair on Everest and like (laughs) made them look just fabulous on like at the Everest base camp. Can you tell me what that was like? Yeah, absolutely. So when I go climbing, I try to bring, I'm a hairstylist, so I try to bring my shears with me so that I can sort of give back to my team. You know, we're out there for weeks, sometimes months at a time. So I bring my shears and while we were at Everest base camp, that's about 17,500 feet. I was giving someone a haircut and we looked up what is the highest haircut that's ever been done? Because, you know, maybe I just got a record (laughs) and some guy has cut hair on top of Kilimanjaro. So 19,400 feet. And I said, we're so close. I'm going to beat this guy. (laughs) <laughs> so we just kept going. We started at base camp. We went to camp one, cut some more hair, went to camp two, cut some more hair, got the world record. And then we went just a little bit higher. So the current world record 
is me cutting Tashi Sherpa's hair. He was our, our cook at camp too. And I sent it home to my husband and he got it on NBC News, the whole thing. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. That is so, you know, so many people that year at Everest, like came home from their adventure with like a fresh cut and every like everyone at home's like, I don't believe that you're on Everest. You know what I mean? Like they were like, how did this happen? You know? <laughs> What's crazy is we were at about 22,000 feet and just lifting my arm to lift the clippers. I was getting out of breath, dying from doing a fade. Yeah, that is amazing. That is, oh my gosh. Like what a unique thing. But I also have to say this, like, it's probably like a team building, team bonding experience, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the people you're with, it's literally life and death. You have to rely on them to save your life and vice versa. If someone falls, you're their only hope of survival. And if you don't have a team that you mesh with, it's an awful experience because you yeah. don't trust them with your life. You don't want to be roped to them for days on end and so it's it's really good to have those small moments that have nothing to do with climbing just to make sure that you're bonding with these people. Yeah. Yeah. What um I mean I know just from doing some research and reading up on the things that you've done obviously you've climbed a whole bunch of ginormous mountains. Uh the most ginormous some would say. <laughs> um you've cycled across the United States uh multiple times like mm -hmm. what what draws you to these adventures? Is it just something that you've always done? Or was there a moment where you decided, like, this is kind of the path that you wanted to pursue? I started climbing really young. My first mountain was at six years old. And my mom was a, a backpacker. And uh, I have six brothers and sisters. And as soon as we could carry the bags, we were up a mountain. And I hated it. I hated every moment of it. <laughs> It was boring, it was painful, it was awful. And at 21, I got a, a pamphlet in the mail saying, oh, climb Kilimanjaro. And I thought, you know what? I've been doing this forever, let's, let's get serious. So I went for it, just took a leap of faith, um, went to Kenya by myself and climbed Kilimanjaro. And then I was really hooked. Yeah. The, I mean, Kilimanjaro is not like a dangerous climb, but it was a struggle. You know, it's my first time at really high altitude and on a solo adventure in a different country. And I love how it pushes you to really learn about yourself. And the, the more dangerous and the more difficult they are, the more you have to dig deep. And that's how you really learn about yourself. And I love that. And so these long bike rides where, you know, they go on for two, three months. Yeah, that's super special. It's so tedious that you just want to scream sometimes. But that's when you find out what you're really made of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to go back to when you were six years old. Mm -hmm. And selfishly, I want to do it because I just told you I have three young daughters. Um, and we've done some really fun hikes. And you know, they've joined me on a few trail runs, which has been so much fun. But and even my daughter, just today brought up a mountain that she was learning about at school. We're out here in Colorado. So, you know, of course they're learning about mountains. And I was like, well, dude, do you want to climb that with me next summer? Like that would be so much fun and awesome. And she'll be 10 at that point. And so I want to hear about your experience because I cherish my time in the mountains and especially, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you feel the same way when you're with someone else 
and you're in the mountains and you're having that experience with them, there's something that just like brings you so close together. And I want to have that experience with my kids. Um, but when you were six and you hated it, like what, what was that? What was that whole thing like? Uh, well, I will give you a little bit of bad news. So out of all my siblings, I'm the only one that stuck with it. So I'm not sure what the winning formula is. Yeah. But um, I work with the Girl Scouts now. So I'm always trying to figure that same thing out too. How do you push them enough where they get a good experience? They get that, uh, they learn how to take care of themselves without pushing them away from it. Yes. And so it's always a balancing act, right? Between keeping it fun and keeping them learning and growing. And um, what's kind of interesting is, are you a millennial? I don't know what I am. I think I am. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I am. But I was like, yeah, so I'm 36 right now. So whatever that makes me, I don't know. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right in the, the camp there. So in the 80s, remember the whole participation trophy thing? Yes. So that started in the 80s. And there was a politician who found that self-esteem correlates with success later in life people who have high self-esteem they give back to their communities they're just like more well-rounded people and they're more successful yeah and so he thought all right we're going to give every kid great self-esteem we're going to give them those trophies we're going to do really gentle parenting we're going to tell them they're great and awesome and the millennials are going to be the greatest generation of people ever and so we are and that's the end of that story correct? <laughs> that's the end <laughs> Uh, so, well, now 30, 40 years later, here we are and, yeah. you know, we're, we're fine. We're not terrible, but we're not, <laughs> we're not where they were hoping we were. No. And they found now that it's completely ass backwards. It's not yeah. the self-esteem that makes you achieve things. It's achieving things that gives you the self-esteem. Mm. And so I try to keep that in mind with the kids that I work with, where I don't tell them, oh, you're so good. You're so great blah, blah, blah. I try to push them, still making it fun, but definitely pushing them so that they can achieve things on their own. Uh, we do a class called um, Lost in the Woods, where they have to survive exactly like they got dropped off in the woods and That's no one's cool. coming for them. Yeah. And when they, I mean, it's scary being alone in the woods as a kid, but when they push through and they make it to the end, you can see that confidence in them. And even if they don't go on to become a survivalist or a mountain climber, that's going to take them far. Yeah. Yeah. And then also just, I mean, and it's funny, like as a teacher, when you talk about the participation trophy, I'm just like, mm -hmm. kids can see through like inauthentic yeah. stuff so mm -hmm. easily, like so easily. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, but also just like, I think it went from praising, like praising, I, it, it went from praising the kid to praising the actions. And so like if a kid's struggling, but then they push through and you're like, man, I'm so happy with how you endured. Like, I'm so proud of you for being courageous there and mm -hmm. you were scared, but you did it anyways. And that is so right. cool. And I think that is just a more effective way because you're praising what the kid like did that right. made them successful and mm -hmm. and bringing up like hey that was difficult or that was scary but you but you kept going and you kept trying yeah. like i think that's kind of the thing that when i'm at my best as a parent or a teacher like that's what i'm trying to do you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah but, for sure i have a lot of yeah. um, 
uh, adults, women that I'll talk to and they're like, oh, I could never do that. You know, they just don't have that confidence. They're scared. And I get scared. We all get scared. Yeah. But it's how you push through it. And you've got to teach kids those skills to just push against the fear. Yeah. And it's so like once you break through the fear, mm-hmm. oh my God. Like it is so rewarding. Like I you just, can do anything. You can. It's so crazy. And it's just funny to me what is intimidating and where my brain spirals to when I'm really nervous about trying something new. And then where, when I'm done trying something new and it's such a rewarding experience in like ways that I didn't even know was going to be like, was going to happen and how good I feel. I just, yeah, Yeah. that's amazing. And that's what adventure, like, obviously that's, that's causing you to do that. But when you were six years old and you're climbing that mountain and it was hard, (laughs) I don't know. It's just because I feel the same way. I just remember, you know growing up and my dad taking me on like fishing trips or camping and stuff. And there's a lot that for a little kid, like we just didn't, you know, you're just like, I didn't really like that. But now as I'm older, I'm so glad I had those experiences. like this weird kind of balance, I guess. Yeah. You learn, you learn to appreciate it. I remember one mountain, I was probably six or seven. I was climbing up and I didn't know that I was going to make it to the top. So I pretended in my head that I was a robot and just each step, like I feel no pain, just going to keep moving. And that was the start of learning resilience in this (laughs) dumb kid way. That's how you learn. Do you still do that when you're climbing a mountain? Pretend to be a robot? (laughs) Yeah. All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to hear, so you eventually were like really interested in the seven summits and the big Mm -hmm. peaks and things like that um what was that obviously you mentioned kilimanjaro as your first one but Mm -hmm. after that like where did that progress to and how has that gone so after kilimanjaro i tried to do them in the order of learning skills so kilimanjaro is just a very high altitude hike there's no technical mountaineering So after that, I started adding more technical climbs, learning how to use my ice axe, my crampons, and I did Russia next. So that's the European peak. And then where did I go from there? Trying to remember them all. (laughs) Um, So there's Australia and Oceania. Those two get kind of mixed up. There's actually eight summits. So I've done um, both of those and those were kind of on the mellow side. Um, Denali, I just did this past year and I think that was by far the hardest really Denali's nuts yeah 110 pounds on your back <laughs> and it's it's just a nightmare <laughs> but um but uh great team for that one i i had a blast but it's tough um what other oh aconcagua which is south america's highest peak that's like a higher version of kilimanjaro so just hiking okay, okay. and then everest so everest i have to redo Okay. So I went there in 2021 during the big COVID outbreak that made the news. Uh, yeah. So after doing those uh, record-setting haircuts, I got sick. Oh, no. And I was on my way to Camp 3, and my lungs were full of liquid. And I was coughing it out, and you could see it come out. And I was like, oh, God. And so I walked down the mountain all the way back down, spent a week in this little village, coughed it all out. And these trips to Everest, I mean, they cost 60, 70 grand. You can't yeah. just walk away. No. So I said, all right, I'm going to give it one more try. I've cleared my lungs out. Yeah. Went all the way back up on the way to camp three. Same exact thing. 
And at that point, the Sherpa are like, get off. You're a liability. Please go home. Was so, it, was that, um, hate or was it COVID? We don't know. Or so, I've, I want to know, like, what is COVID like on Mount Everest? Cause I had it in my bedroom here and it sucked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was terrible. So when COVID spread across the mountain, it, I mean, the whole season was just ruined. We had a wow. team of, there were probably 30 of us and only three made it. And all three had COVID when they made it. Super dangerous. Yeah. And I mean, whole expeditions got canceled. All the tea houses had to shut down. It was a mess. So I'm hoping it was COVID. Sort yeah. of unclear because you're in these crazy conditions where it could have been hape. Yeah. But if it's hape, that's really bad news for next time. So I'm fingers crossed it was just COVID. If if it's hape, is that like you're more apt to get it again? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So since going there, um, I've done a few big peaks. I did Shasta with some friends. I did Denali and I was pretty much fine. So okay. hopefully it was just a fluke COVID and because yeah. I've been higher than I was on my way to camp three and Aconcagua is higher than that and, and you no fine. problems there. So yeah, All um, right. we'll see if I, if this happens again, I'll be devastated. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. To have As... all the seven and not Everest. As a complete dum-dum, I'm going to say that you probably just had COVID, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but Excellent. really, there's it's kind of scary and intimidating because there's no way of finding out until yeah. you're up there. Until you're there, yeah. Just wow. see what happens. So you pay your $60,000 ticket and it's a gamble. So how do you not worry about that? Like, I mean... Oh, I worry. Okay, <laughs> okay. There's, <laughs> there's no way of clearing that out of your head. Yeah. Okay. Oh man. I, I totally worry. And, um, for climbs like this, I will try to get sponsored and, you know, there's always the fear of not only letting yourself down, but now you're letting a sponsor down. So it's, it's a whole thing. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. I want to get up there, get to the top quick, get back down and just be, be done with Everest. Yeah. 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 And that's your last one. Yep. Gotcha. I want to hear, uh, I definitely want to hear about what makes Denali so challenging. Um, but before that, can you talk a little bit about the one in Oceana or Oce yeah, Oceana? What yeah, is that Oceana. like? I heard it's like quite a trek to get to. So when I went, the trek was canceled. So that's in Papua and Papua is currently fighting for independence from Indonesia. Okay. So the trek, there's a high risk of kidnapping, so they don't let you do it at the moment. I don't know what it is now, but a few years ago, it was um, off limits. Okay. So we helicoptered in, and then we spent, uh, from base camp to the top, is a full day of rock climbing. So you pay for this big trip for one day of climbing, which is awful, but <laughs> it's probably the most fun you'll have on any of the seven summits because it's all technical climbing. Yeah. So you're roped up the whole time. It's actual rock climbing where a lot of people kind of confuse mountain climbing and rock climbing. They're two separate sports that sometimes overlap. Yeah. And this one was all rock climbing. So it's a blast. That's really cool. What, um, was there any, just from, I guess the traveling aspect, you know, when you're doing these peaks all around the world what kind of uh like commonalities are you finding amongst them uh not much okay. <laughs> the, the mountains themselves are so varied and a lot of so climbing is a really snobby sport 
And a lot of climbers kind of poo-poo the seven summits because it's gotten really commercial. But if you want to see the entire world, you know, all the way down to Antarctica and see a huge array of different types of mountains, it's a great way to do that. So in Australia, it's this 7,000 foot day hike. It's, you know, a little hill you climb and then all the way up to Everest, of course. And you have ones like Kilimanjaro and Aconcagua that are just hiking. And then you have actual technical climbing on a few of them. And Karsten's Pyramid is just all rock climbing. So it's everything you could ever want out of mountaineering in this one challenge. Yeah, that's really cool. What was the um, Antarctica one like? That, so these are all, because they've gotten commercial, they're all crazy expensive. I would say Antarctica (laughs) is the one that is totally worth the price. Yeah. Every penny, it's it's amazing. It's like being on another planet. <laughs> you show up, there's no runway, there's no buildings, you land right on the ice <laughs> and you get out and you start your climb. And oh my God, it's it's just so beautiful. You look out and it's all white everywhere and there's a few peaks around you. And oh my God, I took a bike out after the climb. They have um, maybe a 10 mile course where you can just bike through the snow. And so I biked all the way out, couldn't see the tents, couldn't see base camp. I was completely alone. And I just sat there and I just had this dumb smile on my face. It's amazing. Um, And it's, it's kind of sad because it's melting from the underneath. You know, they found plant life on some of the outer islands. It's changing fast. Yeah. So that's one of the few places where if you're going to go one, it's totally worth it. And two, go soon because it's, it's changing. Oh man, I can't even, I can't even begin to imagine what it would feel like to just be sitting in Antarctica and like not see anything else. You know, I just think that would be, it's probably like impossible to even describe, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like being on a, like a whole nother world. Yeah. Do you find like when you're way out there, like way out in the wilderness, um, on these mountains, are you finding like <clears throat> you're feeling you were in like the internal is feeling similar even though you're in Antarctica versus, you know, uh, Oceania or Australia or you know what I mean? Like, are you yeah. finding that you feel very similar? Oh, for sure. There's um, it feels really special and it makes you feel not in a bad way, but it makes you feel really small because, you know, we can take a plane around the world in a day and you know the world has gotten very small and if you want to make it feel enormous again go plop yourself in these huge mountains in the middle of nowhere it just makes everything feel kind of magical again almost like you're a little kid yeah yeah it's funny that you say that because i just got back from a big trip and that is exactly how i felt and it's not bad though because i kept thinking like when you hear that people say that they feel small or they feel Mm -hmm. insignificant, you're like, man, like maybe that would be a bad feeling to have. And it's such a freeing feeling. You're like, Oh my God, thank you. I'm so glad. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and I kind of came back realizing like me, like I'm small, I'm insignificant in this whole grand scheme of things uh because i'm in this giant open space um but the relation like 
when I was out there with a group of people, I realized how significant that was, the relationship between all the people I was with at the camp or on the team. And it just makes me like, that's the thing that really is significant at the end of the day mm -hmm. is just how you're treating other people and what you're putting out there, you know? Yeah, for sure. I've thought I've never been to <clears throat> war, but I've thought that um, what climbers feel for each other after they get home must be similar to what soldiers mm -hmm. feel where your life depends on these people. You're so close. You are a team, a unit, you have a mission to accomplish and I think if I call it love, people will get the wrong idea. It's not romantic at all, but it's, it's not strong. It's very strong, yeah. um, but it's it's hard to come up for it with a word for it. It's for but, sure uh, love. I think it's for sure love. It's definitely not like, yeah, the romantic kind necessarily, but it, I'm just like, mm -hmm. dude, I'm connected to these people that I went on this yeah. adventure with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. And it's hard to explain that to people who haven't experienced it. And it's kind of fun coming home where everyone's like, oh my God, you're so crazy. Yeah. Like it's very flattering, but it's also nice to have those people that can totally relate to the struggle and what you're going through. And then to how amazing it feels when you're actually standing on a summit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What, um, really quick, cause I want to hear about your bike rides too and everything, which is like seemingly like a completely different style of an adventure, which is really cool. Um, but what was it about Denali that made it so hard? Uh, there were a few things on Denali. So to start with, I was the only woman on our rope team, which doesn't happen very often anymore. Yeah, It's actually pretty well mixed these <clears throat> days, but uh, all men and then me. And so there's just certain things like peeing when you're attached to the rope or, you know, dealing with your period, just very female based things where it'd be nice to have a buddy along. Yeah. Um, the weight of the packs was pretty rough. Um, it was almost my body weight. So, I mean, just killer. And we had a super strong team, which I liked, but it, it did make it harder because our we had a guide for that one. And he was like, hey, what if we just carry all of our weight instead of taking like half the pack, moving mm. it up the mountain and then coming back? Yeah. So we took all 110 pounds and just went for it. No rest days. We just bombed up the mountain <laughs> and... Uh, we actually lost one of our people because the pace was too hard. He couldn't couldn't hang and he had to go home. Wow. Yeah, it was it was brutal. And uh, that I sounds had a guy. brutal. To like double it, your it weight, rough. basically? That's wild. Yeah, yeah. I was walking at a, a hunch, like completely bent over, <laughs> and I knew it looked bad. And the guide would look back at me and I was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, leave me alone. <laughs> Cause uh I I hate climbing with guides. I'm a terrible client. And whenever I do it, I'm always very conscious of the fact that you are at their mercy. Yeah. So if they want to cut you from the team, you're cut. Mm. So I just, I don't need that pressure in my life. And that I'm is like, pressure. You're like, yeah. you have to impress this other person now. Exactly. So I know I'm feeling fine. I know I look like an old woman hunched in half, but just leave me alone. Let me do what I got to do. <laughs> That's amazing. What did it feel like to be on top of that one? Just like... I, you know, like being from North America and now you're on the highest point in North America yeah, has to be pretty yeah. cool. It was awesome. I actually wanted to finish with Denali because there's only seven, eight of these. So we're, it's kind of cool that we have one in our own country. So yeah. I thought what a, what a cool finale to finish this journey. And then Everest didn't go as planned. So it didn't quite work out, but yeah. 
um, a storm had kicked in that day and we went up and team after team was turning back. And our, our guide who was hardcore, he was like, I think we should keep going. And we're all like, yeah, let's just keep going. And so it was minus 30, minus 35. Uh, one of our team members got bad frostbite. Oh, uh, just a lot of things were going wrong. And then to push through it and finally stand up there, oh, best feeling. Absolutely so amazing. What, um, just on the last thing, because you're going to go and crush Everest. I'm 100% confident. <laughs> uh, what are you anticipating either feeling like or do you have anything planned for like to celebrate like have you even thought that far you just like not letting yourself think about that i've thought about it so i've been doing the seven summit since i was 21 years old yeah and i think i'm gonna be sad honestly yeah i i mean it's gonna feel great but it's also gonna be like well, what's next? Not only did I finish this challenge, but then I will have no higher mountain to ever tackle, right? Unless we go to Mars or something. That's really, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a, yeah. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. That's kind of yeah. like weird. And like, there's probably like a weird, like grief process that plays. For sure. That. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think I'm probably going to go through a little bit of a funk until I get a new goal, but yeah, you'll never be higher than that. That's wild. Wow. Okay. So biking, mm -hmm. seemingly a comp like everything we've been talking about so far, seems like biking across the US is very much the opposite. Like you're <laughs> by yourself, but you're around all these other people. Like you're not really right. like, yeah, you're not in the wilderness necessarily. You're on roads. Like what? what is that experience like and is there commonalities that i'm just not seeing yeah i think the commonality would just be the endurance aspect of it that you know you just keep pushing 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 because these go on much longer so you do just kind of want to throw in the towel just out of exasperation or boredom you know mm -hmm. things go wrong on the bike but it's definitely a more fun experience yeah so i am solo when i do these rides but I meet people along the way. I stay at people's houses. Um, it's a more social experience, which is kind of fun because the mountains are more of a, a grueling thing. So I, I like having both in my life because it is such a different type of journey. And yeah, I, I like that there's no, there's no barrier to entry. So if people want to join, no one ever really wants to join for the whole thing, but if they did want to, and some people have joined for legs of it, which is kind of fun. That's cool. Yeah. What, um, when did you do your first one when you went, um, would you go east to west or west to east? I went east to west because I was moving to California and I oh, perfect. did it on bicycle. Yeah. yeah. Worked out great. <laughs> when, when was that? That was 2011. Okay. So uh, my husband got a job offer out here in California and being a hairdresser, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the industry. If you move, you're starting from scratch. Yeah. And so I was kind of upset with him like, hey, buddy, you're ruining my career. But as payback, you go first. <laughs> yeah. And I'll follow you on a bike. I'll see you in a couple months. <laughs> it was it was awesome. It was terrifying. I remember this felt scarier than doing Kilimanjaro because this was completely on me. There was no one meeting me at the airport or anything. I was just going for it. And um, my parents were so upset. 
they didn't talk to me for weeks. They were just furious. Like, how could you do this? This is crazy. But um, I, I found people along the way. I, I was so young and dumb back then. And I would just tell anyone like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm out, I'm all alone. You know, can I stay in your house? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. Come on. <laughs> and, but you know, it's, I was young and plucky and made it work and had a yeah. great time. What, um, I think the thing to me that seems intimate, the most intimidating is the not knowing where you're going to sleep every night. Mm-hmm what was that like just for the first couple days or the first week like how did how long did that take for you to get used to that aspect the first few days were scary i do remember that i was staying with someone the very first night some lady i don't even know how i met her some lady just agreed to let me stay in her house and then the first few days where i was camping um if you pay for a campsite every night it adds up so i would just go off the side of the road and you have to hide so truckers can't see you. So you don't get any sleep those first few nights because you're always peeking out of your tent. Like, mm. what if someone sees me? What if someone shows up with a gun? What if the cops come because I'm trespassing? That sort of thing. But eventually- what's that? Becomes- Isn't there a name for that? Like, what's that called? I'm trying to remember. Where you just throw your tent out and you're hiding and like, there's some, there's some fancy <laughs> dirt, name for dirt it. Dirt bagging it. There you go, sure, why not? <laughs> um. But yeah, like anything else, it becomes normalized. Yeah. And after a week or that, you're you're not so worried anymore. Yeah. You know where the safer spots are. I would try to hang out by churches because people tend to not cause trouble around a church for whatever reason. And then sometimes if the pastor is in, you can be like, hey, I'm here. Yeah. And people would bring you food or even let you sleep inside, which is really nice. Is that kind of funny? Like, I just i crave the experiences where even just someone inviting me to sleep inside is a luxury that i just wouldn't mm-hmm. have otherwise like i just i don't know why i think it's just the whole stepping outside your comfort zone type situation mm-hmm. and appreciating like the little things in life but oh yeah that seems really sure. appealing to me for whatever reason mm-hmm. absolutely that's a huge draw for me that our lives most Western lives are so easy and we take it for granted because we don't have to fight for our food. We don't have to fight for shelter. Everything is just there. Even if we're struggling a little, we're still struggling in great conditions, you know? Yeah. But if you're out on the road, you've got to figure out food. You've got to figure out water. You've got to figure out shelter. You're down to that base level. And when you do get to sleep in a bed, it's like the most amazing experience in the world. And you finally realize, oh my God, my life is so great. And you couldn't see it before because you weren't struggling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's, I mean, that's a huge draw. Um, what, was there any like specific moments or I'm sure there's a billion amazing moments and then even like a trillion really mundane things too. Uh, but was there anything that really stuck with you that you carry with you now from here on? Um, you mean like the bad stuff, bad stuff, good stuff, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so I just, this past summer did a Canada to Mexico ride. So I sort of crossed my teeth and, um, I hadn't experienced this on the other one, but on this one, when I passed through Kansas and Missouri, it was 
harassment like I'd never seen before. Yeah. It was intense and pickup trucks would swerve at me. And I was thinking, oh, maybe they just hate cyclists. But then people started yelling at me and it was always like, Bad can I swear stuff. on your podcast? <laughs> sure. You get yeah, one all... swear as a PG-13 right. podcast. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> all right. It was all very female centric, like mm, bitch, whore, yeah. you know, that type Ugh. of thing. And I was thinking, is this a, a woman oriented thing? Like, what is the deal here? And it was so bad that I had planned this whole extra route through Missouri and Arkansas. And I said, the hell with this. I'm just going to yeah. go straight to Mexico. And I'd never seen that before. I'd never been in the center of the country before. So I wasn't sure what to expect. And I've had such good experiences, you know, people taking me in, people yeah. being like, oh, you're so sweet. Let me help you out. And to have things go so sideways so fast was kind of a shock. I want to ask, so first of all, as a Midwesterner myself, I am absolutely horrified. That is crazy and terrible. And But I'm curious, you did your first ride in 2011. Mm -hmm. 10 years later is 2020, 2021? Or no, this last year, 20, 2022. 2023. 2023, okay. Yeah. So just... Do you think it's anything to do with like the state of the country, like where we're at? Like we've all been through this traumatic experience of COVID on top of like all the shit that came with it. Yeah. And do you, I mean, just based off of being on the ground, interacting with people, do you think that's part of it? I was thinking that I didn't want to say that because I hadn't been to this part of the country before. I was like, maybe they're always like that, but I mean, everything is very political now. Everything's very divided. Polarized, were, yeah. Yeah, I saw so many um, let's go Brandon flags that, you know, you just never know, like, if things weren't so, what's the word? If people weren't um, so uptight about politics right now, would they care about a bicycle? Would they care about a woman solo? Like, whatever yeah. it is that's sort of upsetting them is it worse because of the climate right now? And maybe, probably. I think too, like just seemingly for some reason that I truly can't comprehend, people are just out looking for things to be mad about. Yeah. And it's to me, like it's so anti what I am and how I think. Mm -hmm. It's really confusing at times because I, I mean, I guess you can put it this way, like you can look around, you can look for the good things or you can look for the terrible things. I think I heard it described once on a podcast of like, are you a bee or are you a fly? Because a bee's buzzing around looking for sugar, looking for like flowers and sweet stuff. Uh, and a fly's buzzing around looking for like shit and like <laughs> crap and like bad stuff, you know? So yeah. it's like the the good stuff and the bad stuff is there always. But what are you aiming your attention towards? And, right. you know, and if you're aiming your attention towards becoming upset about all these various things that we could be upset about, like you're going to have moments where you're like honking at a bike rider and swerving in front of him, which is really weird right. to me. I don't understand. <laughs> but but yes, but as a Midwestern, I'm like, because uh, I think I looked through your posts and was kind of like following along with that journey and that. Mm -hmm bummed me out to no end you know yeah yeah i've heard um 
So I got coal rolled four times in that area. Yeah, which is where you get blasted is, with yeah. the So coal rolling, you do this with a diesel truck. You have to go pay to modify your truck so it doesn't filter the exhaust and then you can blast people. And the only reason to do this is to protest environmentalism and blast cyclists. That's the whole reason. So I can't believe people pay for this. But I had seen on Reddit cyclists saying, oh, I got coal rolled today. And I was like, that's not a real thing. That's silly. <laughs> Four times in two days. And I, I posted on Reddit. I was like, guys, it happened. I'm part of the club. And someone told me that in Kansas, uh, it is common enough that the drivers are really hostile that it actually gave birth to the mountain biking scene in Kansas. There's a huge mountain biking scene just because people don't want to be on the roads there. That's wild. Whoa, wait. So they just are off the roads. They're creating mm -hmm. trails now through the yeah. woods and the fields and stuff. Wow. What? That is wild to me. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Well, so how do you keep going? Because it's one thing to have a really difficult moment on like Mount Everest, like we talked about, where you're coughing up fluid but you're like, I'm going to come back stronger and I'm going to keep trying. Like you go back out and try again, you know? Yeah. And then there's another thing to just have human beings messing with you. And that seems yeah. cr crazier to me, you know, mm -hmm. like how do well, you keep one, going on that moment? One really nice thing is that for every asshole you meet, there's three or four amazing people. Yeah. And after the worst of it, so I had those two bad days, Kansas and Missouri, and then I stopped at a friend of a friend's house in Kansas City. And it was this woman I'd never met before, but, you know, a friend had vouched for her and her husband and their three kids. And they were so amazing. And it was just like this bundle of love. And they had barbecue for me. They bought donuts because I'd lost too much weight. They were like, oh, you need calories. And the kids took me in and we watched Star Wars together and we played <laughs> card games. And after all that crap, it was just, such a wonderful feeling to have these people be like we don't know you but we're totally gonna embrace you into the family and whatever you need we're here for you yeah and that's that's what keeps you going the people that believe in you and they don't even know you but they're ready to help you however they can yeah yeah is there um with both of the cross-country trips is there any mo like i always want to ask about highs and lows you know, like mm -hmm. the highest moment, the lowest moment, all of that. And yet I find so much of our time is spent kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the middle is insanely beautiful, those moments as well. So is there any like little moments that stand out to you as significant? Ooh, little moments. Yeah, actually. Um, on the first trip, I passed through Death Valley. And that was, I know we're staying in the middle, but that was a low point for me. Uh, it was so hot. I started at 3 a.m. to try and beat the heat, and I did not beat the heat because you're crawling out <laughs> you of can't. that crater <laughs> yeah. there. Oh, it was awful. And I was running low on water, and I had a trailer for that ride instead of the saddlebags, and you could feel it just dragging you backwards. And I was starting to lose it. It was just so hot. I was so pissed. I was just over it. And I pulled over on the side of the road and I just had like a meltdown, just complete meltdown on the side of the road. I think I was crying. I was just pissed. 
and some guy on a motorcycle comes up to me and he's like, Hey, are you okay? And you know, I'm all like gross looking. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and he takes off to the next town. Maybe 20 minutes later, he comes back and he hands me a Gatorade. Oh. Doesn't say anything and just drives away. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And it was it was just such a nice moment. He didn't want any thanks. He didn't need anything. He just saw that I was a mess and he was like, she could use a Gatorade. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that, I mean, that's the things that brings my heart joy and like makes me think about just how many little kind human interactions you probably had, you know? Yeah. Which is amazing. Um, I want to ask you about one more thing. Uh, recently, you were on an episode of Naked and Afraid, <laughs> and I have to ask about it. So what... Um, like what made you think like this is a show like everyone's suffering on that show like mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah <laughs> and so what made you be like this is something i want to do i want to give it a shot uh well i am a fan of the show but i actually did not apply okay they they saw some of my girl scout videos that i made for the girls during COVID. yeah and i teach survival skills so they found me casting reached out and oh, said nice. do you want to be on the show and I've been watching it forever. So I was like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. And it's really important to me to show that survival skills are for normal people yeah. because they kind of get a bad rap, right? Like if you say you're a survivalist, they think you're, you've got a doomsday bunker and an armory in your basement. There's like a very specific vibe that goes with that. And I think that's a shame because everyone should know these skills, right? They're yeah. just super important. So that's why I teach them to the Girl Scouts. You know, if little girls are learning these skills, then literally anyone can. Yeah. So that was important to me when I went on the show and I was really hoping I wouldn't be paired with some macho brute of a guy. And I totally lucked out. We had a four person team, three women. So myself, a personal trainer and a substitute teacher. So just normal people. And then one guy who was a chef. And I I had a blast. Yeah. I loved my team. We worked well together. Um, I would absolutely do it again. And I I couldn't have asked for better because not only did we have a great time, but it also kind of showed what I was going for. Like, hey, these are skills for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. You can absolutely learn how to take care of yourself in an emergency situation. Yeah. And you got to sh like show that the skills worked. Yes. Yeah. which is really cool and put mm -hmm. them to the test you know what uh yeah. what skills are you teaching like which ones do you think are the ones that every person should know so i would say probably the most useful info is in my lost in the woods class and that's just what to do the first day or two that you're mm. stuck in the woods yeah. um, how to find help how to get to help and in the chance that you cannot get help how to get water, how to stay warm at night. If you're out there for a few days, how to actually find food, what plants you can eat, things like that. So just knowing basic survival is perfect. That'll get you through a lot of emergencies. Yeah. And how to read a map. When I teach yes. these classes, so many moms or, and dads don't know how to read a map. That's huge. Yeah, I know. It's And it's, it's funny because you think like right now I'm sitting here, I have a map of the Colorado front range, like mm -hmm. looking at me and it's like a topo map and everything. 
And I'm looking at it now in my office and I'm like, I understand this. Like I get what it's trying to say. But then when you're out there and you're trying to look at the topo map and you're like looking at it and then you're looking up <laughs> and then you're looking at it and you're like, what am I looking at? And it is wildly intimidating. Like it really mm -hmm. is. Um, what uh, just for people, if they're if someone's lost in the woods for night one, mm -hmm. what are some ways that you suggest that people should take to like try to find help? So you want to keep your rules of three in mind. Those are the most important things. So you can go three minutes without air. If you don't have air, you're in big trouble. You can go three hours without shelter, three days without water, and three weeks without food. So a lot of people immediately go to, I need food and water. Mm. But those are kind of at the, the end of the list there, especially food. So what I tell the girls is first things first, just get yourself out of the woods if you can. If you don't have to survive, then you're don't in a great survive. situation. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't survive. Don't <laughs> survive. Um, so getting to a high point, uh, calling for help, we give them all whistles. So being as loud as you possibly can, as big and bright as you possibly can. And if there's trees around, getting up there so you can get your bearings if you don't have a map. So if you can just immediately extract yourself from the situation you're going to do great if you can't that's when hypothermia can set in so that's when the shelter becomes important or a fire so those are the the two first things that we cover getting yourself out and keeping yourself at a, a good temperature whether that's not too hot or too cold what do you think about like bivy sacks because whenever i go out on a big hike or a big run and it's in the mountains and it's a place i haven't been to before mm -hmm. always make sure i just throw that in my backpack just in case yeah. i've had friends who have gotten in bad situations where they've had to get stuck overnight i mean so do they do they do enough to like keep you at least warm and oh yeah sheltered? totally okay. okay i do something similar it's um one of those emergency blankets but yeah. it's big enough for me to roll up like a burrito yeah so same idea just something because hypothermia is what's going to get you before well, dehydration will. Yeah. Well, I'll say, so, um, on the trip I just took out in the desert, I woke up one night and left my tent to go to the bathroom and it was foggy. It was foggy in the desert. We were in a foggy part of the desert, which was pretty wild. And, but it was foggy and cold and instantly like within two minutes, I felt like all of my heat was just taken away from me. Yeah. And I looked back at my tent and I was like, oh my God, like if I didn't have <laughs> this tent here, mm -hmm. I would not be able to survive the night out here. Like guaranteed this place would eat me alive basically. Yeah. And it was just an eye-opening experience. And to think about going out into a wild place with nothing is just it's it's really scary to me you know so but i don't always throw that in obviously like i'll do trail runs around here that i'm used to mm -hmm. where i'm like i'm used to it i'm fine but i'm like man maybe yeah. i should just carry that you know yeah most rescues are of day hikers because backpackers or someone who's preparing for something long they have all the gear it's day hikers who go out with just a water bottle who yeah. end up in trouble and like the backpackers can like hunker down for a day if if they need to exactly yeah, yeah. That is so wild. Okay, so just like 
logistics of the whole naked and afraid experience like how long were you out there and what was it like coming back and putting clothes on for the first time (laughs) (laughs) so we're out there for a month um three weeks of it is the actual naked part and then the rest is sort of like b-roll and just normal production stuff like interviews and stuff yeah they give you um like the harassment seminars and it's like mm, workplace gotcha. stuff. Yeah, basically. yeah, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, just basically getting you prepped to go in. They don't tell you anything. So you don't know anything about your team. That's all real when you actually show up. Yeah. And um, so you do your challenge, you come home. And when you're there, they give you, so on day 18, 19, they're like, all right, you're probably going to make it. What do you want to eat when you get out of here? And you can tell them anything you want and they make it for you. And they have this huge feast and our stomachs have shrunk to like the size of an acorn. So you can't eat any of it. Oh no! Uh, They made us a chocolate cake that was like massive and I had to have a bite of it. It was so good. (laughs) What was, what did you tell them you wanted to eat? Uh, So let's see. We had, I was craving a Cobb salad of all things. So Cobb salad, um, we had Doritos and guacamole, we creamed a lot of weird stuff, chocolate cake. Uh, I think they had tacos for us, just anything Amazing. we can think of. It was yeah. so much food and yeah. ended up being so much waste. I felt really bad. Yeah. Yeah. What part of the world was this? We were in Zambia. Okay. And had you ever been in that area before? No, no never. That's so cool. Did you study up? Like, were you like, I don't know, do you study up beforehand? Kind of. You have a very short window beforehand before you go in. And here in California, I'm all about edible plants. I can look at anything and tell you if it'll kill you or keep you alive. And so I wanted that to be my strength. So I studied everything I could find on edible plants in Zambia, um, what animals are toxic, uh, just you know, anything I could cram in. And then we took off and I had my list with me. I studied on the airplane and yeah, it worked out. We found a ton of stuff to eat. They can't show everything on TV, yeah. but you know, tons of great food. And um, we had a few little mini hunts. We never caught anything bigger than like five inches, but it worked. <laughs> As um, so I teach a leadership class mm-hmm. and I can't think of a crazier leadership like group team building thing than to just throw you out in the woods with three people you've never met before what kind of what kind of leadership lessons did you learn that i can like bring back to my classroom like (laughs) oh my goodness like you won't oh man yeah uh so i gosh i did struggle with this honestly yeah um so working with the scouts and i've guided a few climbs here i thought oh i've I've got this in the bag like it'll be fine but um we had four kind of tough personalities and it took us a few days to really mesh together and we did have uh, a fight that played out and i'm kind of glad that happened we actually had to like kind of get angry with each other and get all the emotions out and then we could like recenter and refocus and actually do what we had to do yeah and that was tough for me i hate confrontation i just want to you know do my work but so that was a huge lesson for me that sometimes just let things blow up yeah you can regroup from there yeah and 
yeah, it was, it was hard. Um, you never like a healthy release of like, yeah, you you release it, you release it and then you can move on. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really, and the, we're all tight now. So the, we've had two reunions since the show we went backpacking in Hawaii and then we climbed Mount Shasta together. (laughs) And so next we're heading to the Appalachian trail. No way. What, how many, not, not the whole thing. How many days? Yeah. How many days? What part? Probably no more than a week. Okay. So we're going to head to where one of my teammates lives in Tennessee and okay. do her section of the trail. That's yeah, it's going to be great. That's so cool. Wow. That's, yeah. What a, oh my gosh. Just, it's probably weird. It's probably good to have like reunions because you're like, I don't think anyone will fully understand what this was like, except for the people right. out there, you know? Yeah. It's like mountaineering. You have that that experience that only those people can ever understand you have that love for each other and it's good to keep it going because yeah there's no one else in your life who will ever fill that role yeah that's really cool what um just to kind of wrap up that part like what was there any specific thing that stuck out as like a favorite moment besides eating the one bite of chocolate cake I think? <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah there was so I can be pretty hard-headed. And there was another gal there who, she's Jenny from Hawaii. She is also extremely hard-headed. And we just right off the bat, we're button heads with each other. And so we had our, our little fight. And we were still kind of, you know, not, we weren't friends yet. Uh, and we found a mouse, a shrew. And it was under a log. And we tear off after this thing and we're screaming and running back and forth. You know how fast a mouse is. You yeah. can't chase a mouse. <laughs> and we're, you know, running across these sharp rocks, screaming our heads off, and we finally kill it. And the two of us are dying of laughter. And we've got this dead rodent. It's maybe five calories in this whole stupid thing. <laughs> and we burned 300 calories trying to catch it. And that was the moment that we became friends. All the other crap was just done. And um, we were going to be buds for life after that. And it was such a such a fun, stupid, silly moment. <laughs> One of the best of the whole experience. That's amazing. What um, what was it like to watch the episode after it was finally put together? Oh, trippy. Um, was it weird? Yeah. Yeah, there's so much anxiety beforehand because they have three weeks of footage. You could be the hero, you could be the villain, you could be a laughing stock. You have no idea. It depends how they, yeah, they're going mm-hmm. to tell the story. Yeah. 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 And so the whole time I'm kind of clenched up, sort of dying inside. And <laughs> we did, we did so much stupid stuff on the show. And I was thinking, like, one point I lit our shelter on fire. We built this beautiful shelter and I lit it on fire. And I was like, you idiot. It's going to be on TV. And they they were very kind to us. There was nothing in there that was mortifying. Um, every, everyone got, I thought, a, a pretty fair, pretty good edit. So after that, there's this huge sense of relief. Like, okay, I didn't ruin my life. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Heather, where, uh, like, if people are interested in, like, following the future adventures, where can people kind of follow along with your journey and all the cool stuff you have coming up and cheer yeah. you on at Everest, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I am most active on Instagram and it's uh, at Heather Werner with dots in between each syllable. Gotcha. I think if you just look up for at Heather Werner, I'll show up. 
Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'll make sure to put that in show notes and, and all of that, but awesome. this was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. That was awesome. That was so, yeah, thank that was you so, so cool. Much you're so me. cool. Like everything <laughs> you're, you're doing is just absolutely wonderful. So keep it up. You're very inspirational. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Thanks. All righty. That wraps up this week's episode of the like a Bigfoot podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Heather, thanks for coming on the show. You are incredible, and I cannot wait to catch up with you in the future. Um, if you enjoyed this episode or if it was your first one, uh, welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. Uh, we have a whole bunch of really cool episodes. Um, this was number 362. So this has been like a long running project for me. Uh, and it's been super fun. It's been a passion project since day one. Uh, and I'm very excited to see what happens in the next year, you know, in 2024 with the podcast. I'm excited for the conversations that I'll get to have. I'm excited, like honestly and truly every person who's been on the show, I've just become a fan of, you know, so you know, the next adventure Heather does, I'll be cheering her on and, and, you know, wishing for the best and watching like her awesome journey on whatever social media she's sharing it to, um, and all of that. So, um, go back, check out some of those episodes. I bet if you enjoyed this one, there's going to be some other ones, uh, that you'll definitely connect to or, or want to dive into. So, um, Thank you for that. And really, I think just housekeeping stuff, I think this will be, I'm putting this out this week, this episode. And then I think next week I'm going to skip over just because of the holiday season. And we'll be back on the 29th with one last episode of 2023, um, which will be really exciting. And then we'll start the new year. Um, and so there's a couple of things I was thinking about as it pertains to what Heather was saying on the episode. Um, but also, I guess I'll just start with this. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately of just like what limiting beliefs do I have about myself, um, about the projects that I'm working on, whether it's this podcast or whether it's, you know, like the life projects of being a dad or or teacher, or husband, and things like this. And, you know, I was just thinking and journaling about like, what are ways that I limit myself? Like in what areas am I like getting in my own way or putting up my own, you know, walls or hurdles or whatever. And um, I had a really interesting conversation with a couple of people recently where I talked about like, I just, I feel uncomfortable self-promoting, like even promoting this podcast. Like I've never felt comfortable really putting myself out there and promoting the show, even though like I am like incredibly proud of what the show is and what it's become and the episodes we put out and the ideas that people share. I'm so proud of that. And yet I'm still finding resistance about really putting myself out there and, you know, trying to get people to tune in and things like that. And I was talking with my friend, John, uh, John Peterson. He's been on the show a few times. He's a, like a leadership coach. He's rode a boat to Antarctica. 
<laughs> which is so crazy. But he's just such a wonderful guy. And we become friends because of this podcast and getting in touch through it and talking and stuff like this. And um, he brought up this idea as a leadership coach. We talked about core values, but he brought up the idea of shadow values. Like what are the values that you put a lot of emphasis on and you and they might not necessarily be productive, you know? So for like an example, like people pleasing, you know, like I do feel like I'm definitely a Midwestern people pleaser and that might not be the healthiest thing all the time. You know what I mean? Um, also, you know, I talked with him about the idea of control and you know how I'm in control of my day most of the time. Like I think uh, one thing I'm really good at is being disciplined. You know, I'm disciplined with working out and and my day is pretty disciplined, my routine, things like this. Um, but also, I think that's the positive way to look at it. But then it could be negative because, you know, I'm so used to control and that's not necessarily always the most healthy thing, especially when situations might seem out of your control. Um, and it was something I got to think of after my trip a few like a month ago because I was so much not in control in that trip and I thought it was a really like healthy thing for me um but I was thinking about core values and the shadow values and I was thinking about this podcast and how like I've been doing this for like seven years or so and I've never fully like just put myself out there and you know tried to get people to like like I never I don't like the <laughs> I feel uncomfortable with the phrase, uh, like, and subscribe. You know what I mean? Like you're watching any YouTube video or listening to a podcast and they're like, leave us a review on iTunes and stuff like that. Like I've always felt really comfortable. Like I even feel it right now. Like I feel the resistance as I say it. Like I feel uncomfortable being like, leave me a review on online. Um, but at the same time, like I've always really appreciated it when people do that, you know? And and so I just got to thinking and I've like been lucky enough to surround myself with these incredible people doing this awesome stuff. And they're like, man, like you, you could probably try to go for it and you, you know, you could see where that takes you. And I was like, ah, I know. And so anyways, I'm just thinking about 2024 as it pertains to the podcast and, and all of that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, excited for it oh and i guess the last thing here i read this on an article by semi-rad or like a post by semi-rad who i love brendan leonard he's an awesome writer especially in the adventure space if you haven't read semi-rad check out his stuff um and he's also an iowan and so maybe it's maybe it's the midwestern thing but he talked about this very idea and about self-promoting and how weird it feels um, and he talked about how he shifted his perspective and now he doesn't feel like he's promoting like himself and his brand and like all that stuff. Um, but he thinks the important thing is to promote the ideas, you know, and when I look through the archive of episodes we've done and the ideas that these amazing people have shared even over just the last year, but like throughout the whole entire project, like I'm like, those ideas need the light on them. You know, those are the ideas that should be promoted. Like these very positive, you know, 
motivational, like optimistic, enthusiastic, like all of these things that sometimes get lost in our day-to-day interactions with uh, culture, especially here, you know, in the U.S. Like it feels like our day-to-day interactions right now are, they can be like incredibly negative if you're um, flipping through news channels or like scrolling through your phone, you know, there's so much just negative messaging out there. And when I think about this project, I think about all the positive messaging that's been on it, you know, that's been life changing for me and, and hopefully, you know, a positive in other people's lives. And I think about the positive messaging that's just honestly not out there. Um, and it, makes me think about the story Heather told in the podcast and, you know, going through Kansas and getting just trucks driving by her, like trying to scare her. And, you know, and I think about that and it really, it, it's something like, I think I said it in the episode, like I can't connect to that mindset. Like it just, I don't have it. So it seems very out there for me and I don't understand it. And I mean, I do, I do understand how that can happen, but this whole, like, just constantly pushing against everything, push, 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 like thinking negative all the time, like waking up and just seeing the negatives around you, um, and ignoring the positives. Like I understand how that can happen, but I, I just, at my core, like my personality, like I just don't connect to that you know like i hope that makes sense but but i've been thinking about that a lot ever since recording this episode um because i do think like it's just like the divisiveness as like a tool is just gross to me um and it's a tool that's being used by like very powerful like people or companies and and all that like the divisiveness is there and and you know the like fear mongering and and you know making people anxious about human interaction and you know human interaction is like one of the greatest things on the whole entire planet so i just think like it's something you like just to be aware of the divisiveness and what it's doing and like kind of like the symptoms that are arising from a culture of divisiveness. Um, And then also realizing your part in that and like, can you be a voice of positivity, you know? Um, And can you be someone that like really tries to understand? Like I I guess guess to kind of wrap all this up because it's a super long outro, but I always feel like the outros, no one's listening. So then I can just ramble on. <laughs> and this is like my own like rambling on time. Uh, but this morning I listened to uh, Trevor Noah's podcast. And if you haven't listened to that yet, like that dude, I just, I just respect that guy so much. Like he is just an amazing brain. He's so funny. Um, but the thing I really respect is that dude is just willing to listen And the way he listens and thinks about other people's perspectives is just so, like, honestly inspirational to me. Like, I hope 
I can give that much credence to the power of just listening. And, and I just think that's going to solve so many problems. Like if people can just sit and listen, you know, whether it's a dispute, uh, with like, you know, someone close to them or someone they're interacting with in their day to day, or even just like listening to perspectives overall, you know, and then hopefully if that can happen, like you won't have dudes driving down country roads, trying to scare people like bikers, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't even make sense to me. Uh, like why would people be like, this is the way I want to spend my time is scaring other people and making people feel negative. So, um, thought about that a lot lately. And, uh, I don't know if any of that made sense at all. Like I'm scared to listen back. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I made any sense for the last 10 minutes, but, um, hopefully there was a through line there somewhere. <laughs> so, so it's something I've been thinking about. Um, you know, as it comes to like, as we approach the end of the year, I'm like, ah, oh, man, like I'm proud that I'm not adding to the divisiveness. Um, and I am trying to bring a po positivity and a light and all that stuff. Um, because I found so much light and I found so much positivity through adventure and through the people I've met through doing like these outdoor things and through the spaces, even like when you're moving through the planet, and you're just witnessing how beautiful the actual physical space is. And then you get to witness how beautiful your fellow human beings are while doing this. Like, it's just something that I, I, I really want to encourage people to go out and try. So, um, so yeah, so we'll keep doing the podcast, leave a review. Oh, that felt weird still. Oh man. Um, but <laughs> Uh, I'll work on that. So, uh, all right, we'll get back at you with one more episode of 2024 with my friend Jan, who's awesome. And I love this guy and I'm very excited to share this episode. All right. Talk to you later.